series. Um, and so grab your Bibles. There should be a Bible near you somewhere. Um, I think we're about page 15, 20 something, uh, Acts chapter 14. So if you didn't bring your Bible, um, there should be a black one on the, on the counter, or not counter, the, the table next to you somewhere. Uh, like 15, 24, 28, something like that. Acts chapter 14. Um, this series that we're in, I think this is week six or so of this series. Now, what we've been doing over the, man, for a long time now, is working through the book of Acts. And we worked through the first, I guess, nine chapters, uh, looking at the whole church kind of concept, uh, the birth of the church, um, Jesus' ascension into heaven, and then Him, you know, sending the Holy Spirit, and how the church kind of blew up from there. And then, in this series, what we're doing is we're look, kind of more specifically looking at Paul's life, and his in, interaction with the church, and and the mission trip, this is where we're at now. He, he's, he's out on a mission trip, the very first mission trip of the church, um, which was last week, chapter 13. The church at Antioch had sent, remember, the, they had been sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, and the church was just growing like gangbusters, like crazy growth. And they say, this is awesome. Now, let's go and share what we're doing here. Let's go and share that with the rest of the world. And so they choose Paul and Barnabas to go out and take the gospel to all of the other regions around them. And that's where we're kind of picking up with. Um, then let me show you a map here uh, of, of kind of where we are so far. If you remember, um, the whole thing started in Antioch, Assyria here. And then um, they said, let's send Paul and Barnabas, put them on a boat, and send them away. Uh, and not away because they don't like them. I mean, th- th- this church was sending their best. They were sending their best to go and share the gospel with the people around them. And so, so far, what we've seen is we've seen them go from Antioch over to Seleucia, and then they sail to, to the island of Cyprus. They land in Salamis, and then do some ministry here in Paphos. Remember, there was a magician. We talked about him two weeks ago, this magician that that was like, you know, he wasn't a good magician. He was a, he was a false prophet. And, and what, is, what does Paul do to him, say to him? Do you remember what he does? He says, you're going to go blind. And he does. And he's like, whoa, I can't see. And all this crazy stuff. Well, the Jews didn't like it because the, all of a sudden the church blows up. The Christian church blows up there. And they're like, get out of here. And so they set sail up here to Perga. They spend some time there in Perga. And then head up here to Antioch, same kind of thing happens. They share the gospel. All these people get saved. The Jews are hating this because they see their control on everything slipping through their fingers. And so they basically run them out of town. And the Paul and Barnabas run to Iconium right there. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. So the plan is... And you know my plans. Like, my plans get messed up all the time. But like, the plan is to try to complete all of chapter 14 today um, and finish this mission trip that they're on. Um, now, we can do that if I don't have any like major brain farts. Do you know what I mean? Like, if, if I, or maybe I should say, uh, many mental lapses is probably, because I just said brain fart and some of you are like, he just said fart in church, right? <laughs> it's not really a good, probably, way to start a message. Um, like a fart going like what's that what's that uh, saying like that goes over like a fart in church what is that like does that mean like I'm trying to, like like that's not something good that that would not go over well right 
But I, I mean, let's talk about it because I grew up in church. I grew up in church, and I don't ever remember, like, you know, me sitting, like, I was in church every Sunday. I don't remember ever sitting there like three rows back, you know, I never heard a fart in church. Have any, did any of you hear? I mean, I've heard my own. Yeah, Don has heard me, like, during setup, but that's different. That's something way different, you know what I mean? Like, but, if I don't have any mental lapses, we should be able to get through chapter 14. If you guys don't take me off course like we just took. So, and I blame you for that. But anyway, um, let's pick up. We're going to pick up in chapter 14 of Acts. Did anyone look in your Bible? What page is it, Jake? 15 what? I can't even see that from there. 1528. 1528. If you're new to the Bible, there should be one there. Go to page 1528. We're going to be reading with a big Acts chapter 14. We're going to start right there. Um, we've got Bible apps. You've got all kinds of stuff that you can read along with us here. So, they're here in Iconium, okay? And they're about halfway through their missionary journey. They're on like this huge loop, and they're going to basically start circling back today. Um, it's, it, we start here in Acts chapter 14, verse 1. I've got it up on the screen for you as well. Um, maybe we should start the video right there. We cut out all that farting stuff. So, here we go. Acts chapter 14, verse 1 says this. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews. They is Paul and Barnabas, okay? Paul and Barnabas entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner, this is awesome, one verse, that a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. So here it is again. Paul and Barnabas, they're running from the Jews here, trying to kick them out of town. They've been kicked out of all these towns. They do the same thing. They're in this cycle. And we see this cycle happen time and time and time again for them. They do something cool. They go to the synagogue. They preach the gospel. Lots of people respond. People get angry about it because they see their, their culture, their control, their livelihood slipping through their fingers. So they want to kill them. They run and they keep doing this in these other places. It says that such a manner that a large number of people believed. This is awesome. The global church keeps growing. And it doesn't matter. God's going to continue to grow His church. Even if they keep getting kicked out of these places, they just go to the next place. Um, Jesus, if you remember, He said, when you go to a town and they won't listen to you, what do you do? He says, right? Shake the dust off you and keep on moving forward. That's what they would do. They're kind of, you ever seen anyone do this? Like, I'm done with them. Right? That's what they do. Okay, we're done. We're moving on. But we're going to see that Paul and Barnabas end up coming back through all these places they got kicked out of because they, they're like psychotic. But anyway, here we go. So, the, the church grows again. And then there's this crazy word in the Bible that keeps coming up. But, so the church is growing. This awesome thing happens. Verse 2, but. Oh, I love those buts and I hate those buts. This is one that I hate. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. This is always going to happen. This is always in the cycle of Paul and Barnabas' missionary journeys. This always happens. They go to a place. They preach the gospel. People respond. The disbelieving Jews. Some of the Jews believed it. They've been taught all of this that the Messiah would come someday. Some of them saw Jesus as the Messiah. Others said, that's not Him. And those that did not believe said, although I don't believe it, I'm not okay just letting everyone else believe it. So I'm going to do whatever I can to make you disbelieve as well. And this is what Satan does time and time again. When God begins to work in an area, 
Satan's going to get his greasy little hands on something that you're doing for God and try to ruin it. This happens. This is happening in our church right now. Okay, that Satan is doing what he can to stop the things that we're doing out in the community. He's doing that right now. This is what happens in this cyclical uh, place that they find themselves. It keeps happening. He's going to try to thwart the spread of the gospel, but God will not be stopped. Verse three. Look at. Therefore, they spent a long time there, speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of His grace. Check this out. Granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. So these guys, Paul and Barnabas, and the the people that are with them, signs and wonders are happening. There's miracles happening. There's who knows what's actually happening. Signs and wonders. It could be anything. It could be feedings. It could be miracles. It could be all kinds of different things that God is doing in this place, in Iconium, so that way His name is known. Like He's showing the people, listen, these Jews over here, they don't want you to believe it, but you can't argue with this. And we're going to see one of those examples here in a minute. So they're performing miracles. They're doing these signs and wonders to show that God, this God that they're speaking of, this big G, God of all gods, big L, Lord of all lords, is the true God. And the church is growing. But, verse 4, here comes another but. Verse 4. Come on with it. Let's see. There we go. But, the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, stone them is throw stones on their head and try to kill them. That's what that kind of stoning is. Okay? Different than what we know today. Verse 6, so when they tried to kill them, they, Paul and Barnes, became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So, again, they find themselves under attack. They were in Antioch. They run to Iconium. They're now in attack. And it says that they flee to Lystra and Derbe. So now they're in this region. People are trying to kill them again because they're preaching the gospel and people responding. The church, the established church, the Jewish religious leaders don't like what's happening and so they're trying to smash this gospel thing. These Jesus freaks running around here talking about Jesus, people getting saved, people getting healed. We've got to stop it. And they're going to do whatever they can. Paul and Barnabas move on because the Jews are jealous and they're going to do whatever they can. They're going to become violent to a point that they want to kill these people, run them out of town. Some of us try to push them off a cliff, throw them off a cliff. All of these different things because they don't believe what these people believe. And this cycle continues to repeat. And honestly, if you think about, just watch the news, things really haven't changed very much from then to now. If you look at the national news, our country's going through all kinds of chaos where one person believes one thing and another person believes another thing. And it can be just about anything. And because this person doesn't believe what this person does, this person decides to try to beat the crap out of this person to make him believe what he believes. Like, how many times has that ever worked? It doesn't work. It does not work. You don't believe what I believe, so I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to hurt you and try to make you believe what I believe. That that never works. 
so what's the other option? Then I'm, if you don't believe what I'm going to be, I'm just going to kill you or try to push you out of here. I'm going to try to get rid of your ideas. And this is happening all over our nation. Over all kinds of political, non-political, uh, all of these things that's still happening today. You don't believe what I believe, so I want to make you believe what I believe. And I can't really do that, so I'm just going to hurt you instead. Or get you away from me, so I don't have to deal with you. We're struggling as a nation, y'all. Struggling as a world, to be honest. Things have not changed very much. Verse 8, so they moved to Lystra. In Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb. He'd never walked. This man had never walked in his life. Verse 9, this man was listening to Paul as he spoke. And Paul, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had the faith to be made well, he said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leapt up and began to walk. Listen. Old boy had never walked in his life and now he's walking. Right? Paul says, Oh, that guy, he's got some faith. Yo, get up. And he gets up and starts... It doesn't just say he's like, Oh, you know, like with a walker. He's like... Whoa, what's up? Like, this, this is very reminiscent of the, of the miracle in Acts chapter 3. Do you remember that one? Uh, Peter and John are going into the temple and there's a, there's a lame beggar there and he's like, yo, can I have some money? And they say, hey man, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And now there's, get up. And he gets up. And it says that he went and we sang the song, right? walking and leaping and praising God, right? Like we sang that song together. This is a very similar miracle that this dude all of a sudden never walked in his life. It's not like this is some magic trick. It's not like they found some cure, right? Jesus just said, oh boy's going to walk. So listen, if God wants you to walk, you're going to walk. If God wants you to be healed of something, you can be healed of it. There's no stopping God when He wants to do something. Think about that as we continue in this story. Now, the problem is this miracle, just like many of the other miracles in these other towns were designed to point people to God. Well, this one kind of backfires, to be honest. Look at what happens here in verse 11. So this dude, he gets up and he begins walking around and you'd think everyone's going to praise God. Yes! Right? In the temple, when Peter and John, they get arrested for that, right? They go to jail for healing people. This is probably not... This is even worse. So check what happens here, verse 11. So when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language, Listen, Paul and Barnabas did not understand what was about to happen. They did not speak this language. They didn't know what these people were saying. They didn't know what they were thinking. They heal this man. Old boy gets up, starts jumping around, you know, doing the running man or whatever he's doing. And they're like, whoa! They freak out. And they begin to praise the wrong God. Check it out. Check what they, what they do. It's too late before they understand what happens. Look at what they say in their own language. So Paul and Barnabas, they don't know what they're saying. The gods, little g, the gods, these are Greeks. Remember in school, Greek mythology, 
you got Zeus and all these people, right? And all these little G-gods running around and they're having babies. Like, it's crazy. Okay? The little G-gods... That's kind of cool. Little G. You know, like little G. But anyway, little G-gods have become like men and have come down to us. Whoa. God did become man and come down to us, right? Like they... They were so close! Like, they almost had it, right? They were so close. The gods have become men and have come down to us, and they begin calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. So they're like, what's up? God, Zeus is here! Hermes is here in the flesh! And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowd, so Paul and Barnabas are like, whoa, hold up. They, couldn't, they didn't know what they were saying. They're speaking in their native language. Paul and Barnabas is like many of you okay, who don't speak Spanish. You go down, you heal someone, and everyone's like, yeah, let's worship Willeen, right? And she doesn't know what they're saying because she don't speak Spanish. And she's like, yeah, it's all going good. And then they start bringing her tacos or bull, sacrificing a bull or whatever. And you're like, what is going on? And they're like bowing down to you. And Paul and Barnabas like, whoa, whoa. No, no, don't do this. Paul and Barnabas are saying, stop it. Because they start sacrificing things to them. They're like, no. The, the law forbids this. The God that you are supposed to worship is the God of all gods. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the people there are like, who's He? They don't know this God. Think about this for a second. Paul and Barnabas, every single time, have gone into the synagogue, Jewish church, and preached and done these things. In Lystra, they're not in the synagogue. There is no synagogue in this little town. There's no Jewish influence. There's no law. They hadn't been you know, taught these things before. So, they're just like these people who are ready for supernatural things happening and all of a sudden, Paul heals this man and they just do what comes out of their like natural spirit to do, which is to worship whatever they know and they know this Zeus and, and Hermes and so they, they do whatever they can and they were so close to understanding what it was, like so close to the truth. And Paul says, y'all, like, you're just barely off there. Don't worship me. Don't worship Barnabas. Worship Jesus Christ who healed this man. And they share this testimony with them. They share this story of Jesus who had come, who had lived, who had created all, all these things, these miracles, these things, these people. He's died for our sins. He comes back to life. They tell him this whole story. And they're like, he's the one you need to be worshiping. And then, it's just kind of crazy that there are like these red flags that start to come up, but they're not speaking the language and they don't really get it. And they're like, what's going on? Um, and Paul and Barnabas, though, they had good intentions, Right? Their intentions were absolutely good, but somewhere in the translation, it what? It went off the rails, right? Have any of you ever had that experience where you had the best intentions? 
And it went south. It went over like a fart in church, right? Like it went south quick. Raise your hand if you've ever tried to do something good for someone, something, and it just went... Raise your hand. So I know. Like six of you. Okay, so the others of you, sometimes those things happen. Sometimes those things happen. We're like trying to be godly. We're trying to do the right thing. And something happens in the middle of it. And you're like, how in the world did this happen? Where did this all go wrong? Where It, it went wrong because of the evil one. We just talked about him. The evil one is going to do whatever he can do to try to thwart, stop, put a hold on the spreading of the gospel. And so, of course, he's going to do whatever he can in this situation, try to change it up a little bit, freak him out a little bit. We deal with this thing all the time. If you are on the front lines of trying to love people like Jesus loves you, then you're going to love someone and they're going to take it like really weird. Or someone's going to see it and go, oh, that's inappropriate. Or whatever, right? There are going to be things that happen when you try to push and advance the gospel. There are going to be things that happen that are like, how did that go wrong? Listen, we're, we're dealing with some of those things right now. How did, where did we get off track? Like, the evil one's going to get us off track. The evil one is going to do what he can to try to stop the good that you're doing. Because, if, and think about it, if you're not doing any good, why would he care about you, right? Why is he going to try to be up in your grill when you're not doing anything for him? So when you start doing things for the Lord, when you try to start trying to spread the gospel, doing things that are godly, loving your neighbor like yourself, that's when Satan's going to come after you. And it doesn't make sense because you're like, God, I'm serving you. And all of a sudden, I'm getting attacked. Yeah, that's how it happens. And Paul begins to talk about this here in just a minute. So this is kind of crazy. Satan hijacks their plan. And then look at what happens next because... The crowd is worshiping Paul. And in the next sentence, they're going to kill him. Right? Any of you have some, like, bipolar friends like that? One second, they love you. Next minute, they want to kill you. You know what I mean? Like, we have... This, this was the crowd. Check this out. But Jews, verse 19. Where are we at? I skipped a bunch, but that's okay. Verse 19. Uh-huh. But Jews came from Antioch, so... They came, oh, the map's not up there. They come from Antioch, where they were before. And they'd come from Iconium, where they were before. And having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul. That means they took, stoning wasn't like you pick up a little skipping rock and you throw it at him. Stoning was, you grab the person, a mob of people will grab the person, will hold him on the ground, and a person picks up the biggest rock that they can find and smashes him on the head with it and disables him while everyone else grabs some really large rocks and drops it on the guy in order that God can judge whether this man lives or not. Okay, This was an illegal activity. This was absolutely not a legal way to deal with this type of thing. Okay, This type of stuff happens all the time. Still today, not with rocks, with guns, with knives, with whatever, still happens. I don't like what you're doing, I don't like what you stand for, so I'm going to hurt you for it. And so they 
stone him. They try to kill him. Look at what it says. They supposed him to be dead. Verse 20. But while the disciples stood around him, old boy got up. And he what? Entered the city. Dude is nuts. Okay? He is like crazy. So Paul preaches the gospel in a way that so many of the Jews and Gentiles that don't believe him want to kill him. They do their best to kill him. He gets up from the beating of a lifetime and says, I gotta get back in there. Like it just, I mean, it does not make any sense. Why? And this is a cycle that they're in that we're gonna see this happening time and time and time again. Look what it says. He got up and entered the city, and the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. This cycle, this cycle, this cycle. cycle. Preach the gospel, get the crap beat out of you, go back to them, preach the gospel again. They want to kill you. Okay, maybe we'll go somewhere else. Like, you know, we may share the gospel with someone and they say, I don't want to hear it. Oh, I'm done. I'm out of here. You know what I mean? Like the, the example of Paul and Barnabas here is incredible for us. And I think I was, I was sitting in my office this week, I thought to myself, Paul is either insane or he truly, truly believes that the gospel gives salvation, gives life to the dead. And, you know, I've heard, maybe you've heard this uh, definition of insanity. Insanity is doing the exact same thing over and over again, expecting the same results, or different results, I mean. So you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. We, we talk about this in recovery stuff. You keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting something different to happen, and it doesn't. That's called insanity. This thing keeps happening for Paul over and over and over and over and over and over again and continues to for the rest of his life. He goes somewhere. He preaches the gospel. People respond. People get jealous. They try to kill him. Oh, I think I'll go back for more. Like, he's, he's either crazy or he truly believes that Jesus offers us new life. one or the other. I mean, I don't know any other options for him. I happen to think the second option for him. As Paul and Barnabas continue to do the same thing over and over again, they pay a heavy price. We talked about this in the beginning. Like, what did Paul look like? What were his physical features? Probably pretty gnarly dude. Okay? Beat up, stoned, shipwrecked, desert. Like, old boy was probably... Just tore up, scars everywhere, messed up, because he paid a heavy bodily price to preach the gospel. It's crazy to think about these guys and them continuing to go into these horrible situations because they believed in the saving power of Jesus. That Jesus can save me? Like Paul was like, if Jesus can save me, He can save anybody. Because Paul called himself the chief of all sinners, the sinner of all sinners. The worst sinner in the world is what Paul called himself. 
And he believed, if Jesus can save me, He can save you. And it's worth my life for you to understand that. It's an inspiring story. And it's humbling to think about it for a second. It's inspiring because, man, what an awesome example for us to follow. Two men willing to give their, put themselves in bodily harm, risk of death, in order to share the gospel with people. Humbling, because I know, man, I'm not really willing to risk bodily harm. I'd like to say I am, but probably not. So humbling and inspiring at the same time. Look at what happens in the return voyage. Verse 21. Come on. After they had preached the Gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Oconium and to Antioch. So they're continuing back through that cycle. They're starting their journey home. Okay, They've gone as far as they're going to go. And they say, hey, let's visit everyone. Let's go and get beat up again. Basically, is what they're saying. Let's go get beat up again and visit those places we started preaching. Visit those new believers. Encourage those new believers. Set up, uh, set up elders and those new believers to lead those churches because we're about to go home and those churches have to have some leadership. So, they go back for more and more and more punishment. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples. So, they're like, let's go and strengthen our brothers and sisters. Encourage them to continue in the faith and saying, "Here's this is important, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. If anyone had the authority to say that type of thing, it's Paul and Barnabas. They had gone through many tribulations in order to spread the Gospel. Verse 23, When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. God's work is a struggle, y'all. God's work is a struggle. If, if, any, if someone came to you at some point in your life when you were a new believer or someone searching out the Gospel trying to decide, should I follow Jesus, should I not? If someone said, follow Jesus, then your life's going to be easy, they lied to you. Okay? And unfortunately in America, pastors do that all the time. They say, come to Jesus. He's going to solve all your problems. He's going to make... Well, He can. But with that comes all kinds of other problems. All kinds of other issues. Through tribulations, we are brought close to God. We grow in those tough times. Okay? Look at what he says there. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Jesus Himself said, you've got to give up your life to follow Me. I mean, it came from our leader. You're going to have to die in order to follow Me. You're going to have to die to yourself, die to your wishes, die to your dreams, and follow Me. You're going to have to give up your life to follow Me, is what Jesus said. So, if things are easy for us, just as I was sitting in my office trying to process all this, if things are easy for us and easy for me, then I need to question, if I'm not going through any tribulation, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Right? If there's no tribulation in your life, and I'm not talking about tribulation, you were doing 130 miles an hour on the freeway and got a ticket tribulation. That's just dumb. That's just stupidity. But when, like I said, when you're trying to do the right thing, when you're following God, when you're... When you're engaged 
keyword, engaged in the community, trying to love people and trying to do the right thing, and you experience tribulation, come on with it. That means you're being attacked. There's some powers out there that are trying to stop you from doing that type of thing. If you're not being who you're supposed to be in Christ, if you're just kind of skating and chilling and everything's gravy, if there's no tribulation in your life, then you've got to wonder, Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Have I laxed in some stuff? Am I pushing the envelope like I'm supposed to push in my faith? Things that we need to think about. Verse 24, let's finish this out. Then they passed through, there it goes, Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, so they're continuing their route. They're getting all the way home. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, which is a new place, and from there they sailed to Antioch, which is home. From there, from which they had been commended to the grace, I'm sorry, to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. So they came home. They had visited all those places they had already gone. They, it said, they encouraged the believers there. They set up leaders in those churches and said, "Hey, we started what six, seven different churches on this mission trip. We're going to start sending letters to you. We're going to come back to you in a little bit." We'll talk about that second missionary journey. They start visiting these places again, all these crazy things. They set up leaders. They say, hey, through tribulations, you're going to grow. Through tribulations, you're going to know that you're doing kingdom work. So be ready for it. We got beat up. You're going to get beat up. Welcome to the team. It's like a crazy recruiting story. It doesn't make any sense. But it's the truth of the scenario. And it says this, when they'd come home, when they arrived and gathered the church together, so they come home from this whole trip, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. So they come home and they give a report, just like we do on our mission trips. We always give a report, right? We come home, we show pictures, videos, people stand up, they talk about their trip. Because on those mission trips, we want everyone to know what happened. We want them to know the goods and the bads and the uglies and all those things. We want them to hear a report of what had happened on that trip. This is this why we do that, because of this example right here. And it inspired others to join them on the next trip. Next trip, they take a few more guys. They split up and go different ways and hit more and more communities. And this idea of missions grew from this very first trip. If you've ever gone on a mission trip... That's because Paul and Barnabas went on this first mission trip. They were the first pioneers. They said, let's go and start sharing Jesus with people we don't know. People we can't even communicate with in their native tongue. Some of you have done that. You've gone to the DR. You've gone to Mexico. You've gone to Southeast Asia. You've gone to Brazil. You've gone to all these different places to share the good news of Jesus with people that were not like you. Some of you have gone over to the neighborhood right over here to minister alongside people that are not like you. That's missions. That's taking the gospel to people that are not like you, that need to hear the word of God. So just to report, like for us, I just want to report. Um, we've got engaged next week. Okay. A lot of you come, a lot of you don't. And here's my heart in it all. I know that there have been some, uh, whatever, some people that don't like the idea of going away and going over to the neighborhood. Like, I don't know what it is about it. We're just having a party, but whatever. Um, and I've talked to some of you about how could we change some things, make it better. Today, right after service, church council's meeting to kind of 
talk about Engage and how is it working, how is it not working, what can we do to fix it, change it. Um, we're going to have to move locations here soon, and so we're trying to figure that out. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Um, but here's what I want for you to think about. Next Sunday, well, first of all, Thursday. Let's talk about Thursday. In order for Engage to work, we have to hit the neighborhood a few days before. That's what Thursdays are. Thursday at 5 o'clock, we meet to hand out flyers to invite people. This last Engage, two kids from my shine group here on Thursdays came. Brand new kids. Hadn't come before. They came because they got a flyer. Ruby keeps coming because she gets a flyer. Right? So, uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot. And I know I called you Ruben earlier, but your name's Ramon. I'm sorry. Did you guys get a flyer first when you saw that? Or Yeah, so they got a flyer. They live near. They got a flyer. They're here now. That's cool. That's awesome. It's part of the point. But we have to be able to hand out flyers. So my ask to you is come and help me and the others, like last week, it was just a few of us that showed up. Uh, me and Lori and McGill and Bernice we walked around. We hit it last week. We did all that stuff. But come and help us on Thursday. Hand out flyers. If you can't do that, be here Sunday at 10. Here. I know some of you have been meeting us over there. I want you to meet us here at 10. Here's why. What we're going to do this Sunday, we're going to change it up a little bit. We're going to meet over in 404. We're not going to meet here. So, room 404, for those of you that can't go over to her house because of limitations or whatever, we're going to meet in 404 at 10 a.m., just like we do here. We're going to meet there at 10 a.m. We're going to sing two songs together. We're going to have a short devotional together. Short, 10 minutes. So, every other week, I'm going to ask one of you to share a devotional with us. It's not going to be me. I'm going to, this week, I'll do it. But the week after that, the two weeks after that, I want... Someone of you to share a devotional with everyone. And then we're going to pray together. I was talking with Charles the other day. This church here, Antioch, when they sent out Paul and Barnabas, they were at home church doing what for those guys? Praying for them. So there's some of you that maybe you're not comfortable going over there. I'm okay with that. Stay here. Come here. Pray with us. Worship with us a little bit. Hear the Word. And while we load up the trailer and go to Bernice's, you all stay here and pray as long as you want. It doesn't matter to me. I'm okay with that. I want everyone to be on the same page in this type of Engage opportunity event. So next week, if you're new, I know there's got some new faces here, we will not be here worshiping next week. We'll be right over in the other building, right over there, same campus, same everything, in the little room over there, little short, little time together, and then we load up all of our equipment, and we go and run the Engage event at Bernice's, which is just a big party, trying to meet new people. We've got new people here because we did Engage. So it's, it's working to some extent. I'm not sure. Listen, I'm not sure what church council is going to decide today. Like, I don't know where it's all going to go. I don't know how it's all going to work out. But I am confident that God is in it. I'm confident that He's in it. People are coming. Satan's attacking it. Like, it's, it's for sure God's in it. How it all looks tomorrow, the next day, I don't know. Because I can't... You know, this church is crazy enough. We change stuff all the time. Like, I can't tell you what we're going to do in six weeks. But I can tell you what we're going to do next week. Okay? And so come, be part of it. Help us reach out to the community with the love of Jesus and hot dogs. Jesus and hot dogs. Maybe we should call it Jesus and hot dogs. I don't know, but you know what I mean? Like, let's go and just, just have some fun together. And share Jesus and hot dogs with people. Um, but anyway, 
I'm not sure what it's going to look like. I'm not sure how it's all going to play out. But we want you to be part of what we're doing in the neighborhood to try to reach people with the love of Jesus.